to put the plate back on this thing? Do you want to put the plate back on this thing? Okay. <laughs> well, I just, I saw it and I was like, I think it's aired out. I dropped coffee in it. Not the actual. It was pretty much the whole thing of coffee, though. <laughs> and we all, I just kind of watched it soak in. I was like, oh, look at that. Look at that, look at that go. <laughs> morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see y'all. Hope you had a nice week. Everybody, you all going to the zoo today? Couple in the back. All right. Well, should be a nice time, hopefully. Um, you won't. We'll stand up. We'll pray. And Leonard's going to sing a couple songs for us. Father, we love you. Uh, we're here for you this morning. I uh, pray that the Lord we hear today uh, works on us. Draw us all closer to you, closer to each other. I pray that you'll rejoice in this through praises and songs. I pray for your needs. stronger and stronger every day, every time. We love you, we praise you, uh, we're joyful for the, the new members, the families, the little babies, and it's, uh, it's a joyful morning, God, so we love you, and we give this time to you. Amen. This is a new song Rich taught you all last week. Uh, we're going to sing it again. Thank you. 
I'd tell you guys to have a seat, but evidently I don't need to. <laughs> so it is good to see everybody here today. Uh, hopefully uh, you guys are, um, are uh, having an enjoyable summer. I, I want to call it summer because kids are out of school and parents are thinking, what do we do with these guys? Uh, now we've got to entertain them. Now we've got to find something to do. And uh, if you want to a good start on that. Um, many of us are heading to the zoo today, uh, which will be a good experience. And I think um, 
We've given out over, I think there's over 100 tickets that uh, have been given out, and about two-thirds of those are just people in the community that we are hosting, and we're hoping to connect with them. So be praying about that today as we, there, that's probably a little better, isn't it? Okay. As, as, uh, as we just try to meet people and say, hey, we want to bless you as First Christian Church, and uh, we want you to know that um, God is for you, and we are as well, and we're here to not create more mental health issues that are being created out there, but we are here to create spiritual health blessings. And uh, I want to be praying about that and ask you guys to be praying that as, about that as well. Uh, also, uh, if you have your um, announcements, because we, we we're going to be doing a parable today, and I, and I didn't want to do sermon notes. I just wanted us to follow the story a little bit. But if you... If you scandalize this with your peepers, you'll look at the very bottom and you'll see what's called a, um, a, a QR code, uh, which is a fancy way of saying um, you scan, you, you take your phone and you scan uh, that little funny looking box at the bottom. And as you're doing that, miracles are happening up here even as I speak. Brian. <laughs> I got I got distracted this morning and uh, I was walking up to the up to the balcony and I saw a new baby. And I just I'm like, well, everything else is not even important right now. And uh, so I, I'm I'm gonna just go sidebar for a minute and just say, John and Chelsea, we are so happy for you guys. Uh, you've got uh, your um, beautiful, or should I say handsome, handsome young son, John, who looks like John. <laughs> Can't escape it. You have a little clone there. Hope you're happy. Uh, I know you are. We are we're happy for you guys. Um, so we want to celebrate that. But back to what I was, I was offering. Um, if you take your phones, and um, I know some of you are like, oh, no, tech again. Uh, you can you, you just take your, your, your picture mode of your phone, and you just put it right in front of that, and it'll link you to a website that uh, is a Google Doc. No more explanation other than to say it'll ask you. If you have a prayer request or a prayer concern or anything on your heart, you can just go there and just type it. Just start typing. That's all you got to do. One step, and that's it. So if there are any prayer concerns or needs that you want to share with us, uh, this is one way, one more way that you can do that. And uh, some of us like to be on our phones a lot, and it's just a very good way to, to engage spiritually with um, things that are on your heart. So uh, try that if uh, you get bored during the sermon, but I'm going to assure you you're not. Uh, but if afterwards or before uh, you have something you want to share with us, do that, and, um, and we'll help you however we can with uh, prayer concerns. So uh, with that said, um, I am just going to take a minute and ask if there are anything, um, anything on your heart or your mind today, prayer concern-wise, uh, anything that you have that's a matter of praise, uh, uh, let's just lift that up. I, of course, I think I mentioned last week that Rich and Adrian had their baby. And um, so uh, 
Cody Elowen uh, is, is her name, and um, I'm not sure when that child is going to make their appearance, but looking forward to that as well. And then uh, Jared and Erica Niederheiser, I know, are getting really close. Uh, so it's baby season at First Christian Church. Um, so that's worth celebrating as well. So if we're going to multiply, we're going to do it partly by reproduction, like the Catholics. So there we go. Anybody have anything on your heart today that, that uh, you want to lift up? Yeah, Diane. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, our granddaughter Amanda, uh, who who used to attend here a long time ago, um, uh, is having a, a, a baby as we speak, but she's a high risk. So, pray for Amanda and her unborn unborn child. What was in the water nine months ago? That's what I want to know. Okay. All right, let's just go somewhere else now with our thoughts. Anybody else? All right, Diane? Update on my daughter-in-law, Amy. Okay. her lifted up. Just to echo that back to you guys for our prayer warriors. Uh, her do uh, uh, daughter-in-law, Amy, uh, who has uh, had some pretty serious eye issues going on. We've been praying for her uh, past several months. Uh, just one more step with insurance and with the prospect of getting uh, surgery for her corneal transplant uh, in order. So hopefully all of those things that are creating a log jam will will uh, resolve themselves and she can get the care that she needs. So please keep Amy lifted up. And uh, with that said, let's just go ahead and take uh, what we have before the Lord and ask him to, to, uh, to bless it and to lead us through the day. Lord Jesus, as we begin this time of worship together, we know that it, it is in many ways um, uh, an expression that will be indicative of so many things yet to come. When we are with you in your glory and everything that has been redeemed is now fully restored and we are who we are called to be in you in, in perfection. And Lord, we can't even imagine what that's like given the brokenness of the world, the challenges of our own lives, the struggles that we face, and everything that your son said that in this world we would have trouble, we know we are not exempted from that. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome the world and that you have given us a vision for your kingdom and you have blessed us with redemption and healing and your Holy Spirit and all of the prospects of a hope that what is yet to come is unimaginable and we thank you for that we live in that hope lord against the realities that say otherwise trusting that what you say we are given by faith and we trust by faith that it will one day come true even as is coming true in our lives as um, we go through each day 
with the power of your spirit, with the voice that we hear through your word, with one another as a community of people that are called to be together for your purposes, for the world, and for your glory, Lord. We want to be aligned in all of these areas so that we can be the people that you call us to be in this moment. Lord, we know that there will come a day when we look backwards upon our time here on earth and we will ask the question, did we do what we should be doing? And I hope, Lord, that the answer to that question is yes, that as we were called, we attended to the things that you placed in front of us and we were a source of blessing and we were found faithful. And Lord, as you challenge us to do that week by week, day by day, hour by hour, just keep us in step with your spirit. And as we lift up pastorally those things that we have just celebrated, the young lives that have come into the world, mothers that are recovering, mothers that are expecting, mothers that are even now giving birth to, to a child. We pray that in all of those areas that you would station your angels and be attentive to the needs of the moment and bring all of these lives uh, into a place where they live under the domain of your blessing and your care. We pray, Father, for people that you're birthing into your kingdom, that if there's anyone here that does not know you or does not know the adoption that we have in you, that we could find that and find that together. And I pray, Father, for the pastoral needs that we've mentioned with Amy and, um, and with Amanda. We pray that you would just help them right now. And we pray that as we lift the day up to you, we thank you for the time that we can be with hopefully some new friends at the zoo today. And we pray, Father, that whatever relationships or conversations that will come out of that, that you would be at work in all of them for your purposes. We pray for your blessing upon the proclamation of your word right now. As we hear it, we pray that its intent would just penetrate the, the deepest parts of our being. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and that you would fill us and enable us and empower us accordingly. Lord Jesus, as um, we follow your directive and your leading, I pray that you would help us uh, to revisit the prayer you taught the disciples with the same desire and the same intent um, that um, they experienced it when you taught them. So would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, um, if you have your Bibles with you or if you want to just look at the screen here in just a minute, we'll be taking a look at um, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And before we get into the text, I, I just want to ask a question of you guys. As you were growing up, do you remember a person or a, a few people perhaps that really left a deep impression on you? 
a person that you said, I want to be like that person. And, of course, when I was in that formative period where I uh, was starting to become aware of people who were doing well with their lives, um, I remember the, the, the mantra that was uh, on the Nike commercial about, I want to be like Mike. Anybody remember that? You know who Mike is? Some of you younger people are like, Mike who? I don't know who you're talking about. And that's okay. But uh, if you remember that, you know that everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan, right? And, um, of course, you know, I, I like Michael Jordan. I was a fan. I'm from Illinois. It's the only redeeming thing about Chicago that I can think of for the Chicago Bulls at that time. Uh, and there was something about his work ethic that really appealed to me. And there are other people that in the back of my mind that uh, I, I think about as, yeah, that is an exemplar of a human being that said, I've taken the life that God has given me, and I'm doing the very best that I can with it. And I think all of us, to some degree, will say, yeah, we fall short of, of that every day, and we know God's grace fills in those gaps. But there's something inside of each of us, I would like to think, that says, I want to aspire to be who God called me to be in this life so that whatever it is that I'm called to do, I, I, I can do it well for his purpose and for his glory. And I, I can think of one person that I thought about a lot as I was going through uh, college and especially seminary. Uh, this person um, was kind of always in the back of my mind. Uh, once I heard about him and what he did, I thought, now that is a human being that, um, that, that, that I, I, I would love to follow and, and be like. If I could be anybody on the planet, I'd like to be this guy. And, of course, I know I, I never could be or would be, but I just want to show a picture uh, real quickly uh, of the person I'm talking about. You probably don't even know who that is, and that's okay, uh, because he really wasn't that interested in telling everybody who I am, interestingly enough. But that, that gentleman right there, whenever he went to college, uh, he studied music, and he actually became uh, an, an outspoken proponent of organ reform in the, uh, in, the 19, in the early 1900s. And he, he was so proficient musically that he wrote a two-volume work on, on, on J.S. Bach and what his music represented. And it really was an acclaimed uh, thing that um, people who are musicologists would say, yeah, that's a great reference point for Bach. And so he had a voice in that world, but he wasn't content with that because, as it turned out, uh, he was studying to be um, a minister, and he was in the Lutheran tradition, and he went on to uh, a very prestigious school, got his doctorate in theology, and then he wrote two books on uh, the life of Jesus and the life of Paul, which if you are a nerd like I am and you read books on the life of Jesus or the life of Paul, his books are ones that people refer to as those were game changers. Interestingly enough, he looked at those two accomplishments and said, that's not where I want to land and that's not who I want to be. Because somewhere along the way, he, he heard a voice that said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Gabon, Africa, which is kind of in that, in that um, big part where uh, Nigeria, Congo, that area. And 
be a medical missionary. So after doing those two things, earning a doctorate in music, earning a doctorate in theology and writing those books, he put that aside and he said, I need to now get my MD. So pretty ambitious fellow. He got his MD, but it wasn't like, hey, I got an MD. Now I can set out my shingle. He's like, I got the MD so that I can go to Africa now and I can help people in Gabon who have medical needs. And so he was called to be a medical missionary. So there he goes right around um, 1910 to Africa. And he goes into the interior, which is pretty jungly. And he hauls his piano with him to the middle of nowhere in tropical Africa, which is not a very happy place to be, and he sets up a, a mission outpost that later becomes a hospital. And maybe you've heard this guy's name before, maybe you haven't, but he was given the Nobel Peace Prize later on as a person who basically had, I don't know exactly the title, but it was to the effect of he did things that demonstrated a high regard for the life and well-being of all people and creatures. His name was Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Maybe you're familiar with him, maybe you're not. But when I ran across this guy, I am like, I'm sold. He has lots of ambition, but somewhere along the way, he heard the call. He heard the voice that said, whatever I've equipped you with, now I want you to use because the clock is running and everything you do from here on out matters. And so here he is in Africa petting a deer. And you know, back then people wore ties everywhere and shirts and stuff, you know, and very formally dressed. So here he is sweating in Africa with his bow tie. And what's so cool about this is what we're getting ready to, to hear. Because when he was asked, what is it that influenced you the most in your desire to set aside all of that and go be a medical missionary? He said, it was when I, when I, when I heard for the first time, when I, when I heard it and then I saw it, the words that we're getting ready to read in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. When I heard this story, that was, a, that was a clarifying moment for me. That's when I realized I gotta do the right thing with what I've been given. So let's read those words. In, um, in, in Luke 19, or 16 rather, it says, um, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. We're still there in that setting the Pharisees are over here, the disciples are over here, and the crowds following him to Jerusalem are right behind him. And so he tells this story. And if you've noticed, there's a lot of money themes that are associated with this story. And he seems to be cracking on wealthy people. And um, we're going to talk about what that means um, in a little bit. But uh, for now, let's just read the text. There was a rich man, we don't even know his name, who was clothed in purple, which 
if you lived in that day and you had clothing that was made out of purple, it was extracted from uh, a, a sea creature, and you had to get a whole bunch of them and extract it and kill them so that you could just have one garment, which meant it cost a lot of money. And he wore fine linen, which meant that his underwear was about five cuts above BVDs, all right, or whatever the popular brand is today. It was the best. Best robe, best underwear, and he feasted sumptuously. You ever feast sumptuously? I'm not talking about going to McDonald's. I'm talking about going to that five-star restaurant that you might go once in a lifetime. Every day, feasted that way. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. So here's the imagery. You are a very wealthy person. You're living in a gated community. You're walled off from all the problems of the world. And all you have to do each day is put on the best clothes and eat the best food. Rinse and repeat. Day after day after day. Cloistered from everything that has to do with the harsh realities of the Mediterranean world as we knew it in that time. And then there was a guy who he was laid at the gate, which meant that his friends drug him probably by hand or they carried him. And they said, we don't know what to do with you. You're in such a sorry state that perhaps somebody who is wealthy will have mercy on you. But as far as we know, there are no hospitals in this, in this time period and in this place. And so the only thing that we can hope is that somebody will see you and have mercy. So they take him to the gate and they lay him down there. And there he lays. And inside, there's a guy who's eating sumptuously and wearing the best gear. And I got to think he's aware that there is a ne'er-do-well person cluttering up the beautification project that was his gate and the walls that were outside of his home. And here he is laying there languishing, dying, covered head to toe with sores. And all he wanted was to be fed with the food that fell from the rich man's table. Now, I read this and we think, well, what's so bad about that? Well, did you know if you're wealthy in that day and you're eating a meal and you got some grease on your hands... Like, oh, my goodness, where are the towelettes? Well, they didn't have towelettes. So the answer was, we have lots of bread, and we're going to use the bread, wipe our hands off, and we're just going to discard it on the floor. And so what he had, hopefully, as the prospect of food, was the leftovers from the hand cleaning of the wealthy guy. Got the picture? So as Jesus is telling this story, the Pharisees are there arm-crossed. People are listening because they're thinking, wow, we've never even seen a person like that because they are so 1% in their way of life that we just have heard about them. 
And so moving into the story, uh, into the next slide, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried to the angels, by the angels, to Abraham's side. Now, for just a second, we have dogs here, which in that day, they weren't like many of you have dogs, I know. And if you're like so many of us, um, well, they're kind of like family. Until you get irritated at them, then you disown them for about a half a second. Then they're like, okay, you can come back. And there's something about dogs that are a source of comfort and a source of, I don't know, emotional, uh, I don't, you just, they receive and give affection without any, no strings attached. Maybe a little bit of a treat here and there, but otherwise, they're very generous in their charity. And so in that world, uh, dogs were kind of looked at as they kind of had an interesting connotation. They weren't pets for people, but poor people obviously interacted with them because they were fighting in scarcity for resources. And these dogs are saying to Lazarus, we could eat you, but we're not. We're going to help you. And so there's a little bit of a shock factor here, if I could capture that a little bit. And... Well, not long after, he dies. And it appears that, according to the story, and it's just Jesus' way of making a point, not creating a bunch of theology, the angel said, we're taking you to the father of our nation, Abraham. We're taking you to what is the most comfortable place you could possibly be, and that is in the arms of the one who is the progenitor of it all, Abraham. So when you say Abraham in that day, that triggers a whole sense of, yes, he's the one who got us started. And that beautiful imagery is that of him being brought back to Abraham's side. Did you know that, by the way, that Abraham had sort of a helper, uh, a guy that was one of his, probably his right-hand person, named Eleazar from Damascus. And in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, you're going to have a lot of children, and it's going to be off the charts. And Abraham's like, well, I don't have any children. My wife is barren. We've been trying and trying and trying, and it's not happening. We're not like First Christian Church, you know, where every, people look at each other and somebody's pregnant. It just isn't happening. And Abraham tells God in that covenant-making moment, yeah, the only person I have is Eleazar. He's not even my son. And Eleazar means God helps. God helps. And he was there to help Abraham. Um, but as the story is told, people who know the, that story kind of have a little bit of a trigger happening because they're thinking, oh, yeah, we remember Eleazar, and I don't know if Jesus is trying to make the connection between Lazarus, which is, which is the Greek word for Eleazar, that's where I'm going with that, but in a sense, it creates a connection there that um, that same sort of familial connection is, is, is sort of brought to bear. 
So Jesus is really pulling a lot of meaning out of this or in, pouring a lot into it so that they can draw that out, and hopefully you will as well. So we have Eleazar, a.k.a. Lazarus, who is basically neglected. He's at the gate, and no one will let him in. No mercy, no care, indifference, get out of my way, I need to get my Mercedes through, Lazarus. And he dies. And then there's a rich man. What's his name? Rich man, rich man guy. What is his name? Rich man. Nobody really knows because he's just a rich man. Because his money actually is a thing that has created his identity. His whole way of life is centered on money. And he has a lot of it. So much so that he can now insulate himself from the problems and cares of the world. And wouldn't that be great if we could just go somewhere and isolate ourselves from the problems and cares of the world and live in sort of a peaceful isolation and just no provision and sustenance? Well, did you know that the Pharisees in that point in time believed this? That if you had money and you had wealth and you had power, that is only because God has blessed you. There was that sort of doctrine that if you have stuff, if you have wealth, if you have place and power, God obviously is smiling on you. And that really was a sense that they've done right, so they've been blessed. Lazarus obviously has done something that has put him in that place, and he's getting what he deserves. That really was sort of the thinking. Yet when Jesus comes, he's trying to say that, no, nah, I mean, there is a little bit of a connection between, you know, being responsible and honoring God and, and knowing blessing. But it's not like some magical law. And in reality, you can take your talent and pursue wealth, or you can be born, which, you know, I, I should have been born in, into a, you know, a wealthy family. I could be a good trust baby, right? Anybody want to join me in that? But there's something about the connection between wealth and godliness that's in the air. And there's almost an entitlement. And Jesus is there to poke a lot of holes in it because there were actually a lot of wealthy Pharisees that were listening to what he had to say and really taking issue with it. And this rich man, a.k.a. rich man, also died and he was buried. And in Hades, which is the word for the place where dead people go at that time, being in torment. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And here's his response. Let's go ahead and, and he called out, Father Abraham. So he's claiming that connection familial with Abraham. Have mercy on me. You know, you're the father of who we are. You should help me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now, let's just stop for a minute. He's saying, send your servant to cool my tongue. Can you send your servant to cool my tongue? My tongue is hot. I need a servant to cool my tongue. What's the problem here? Why is this breaking down? Well, let's just 
put the brakes on that for a minute. Now, if you're in with the Lord and you look at another human being and you say, hey, you know what, I'm in a little bit of discomfort. Can you get a servant to help me out over here now, Lord? How does that even sound? Does that even sound like it fits? And that's part of the point where Jesus is going with this story. Is this fellow is so locked into a way of looking at life that even in his deepest agony, he's still thinking, well, this is how you manage the problem. You find a servant and you say, servant, get me some water. Why is it different here than it, why should it be different here than it, than, than it was whenever I was there on earth? Why, why would that be any different? I hope you find that a little bit disturbing. Because what Jesus is trying to do is show us that what we do here matters there. On earth as it is already in heaven. And how we prepare ourselves to be with the Lord here does make a difference on how the Lord finds us there. And this is one of those stories in the Bible that really doesn't focus on, well, one did good and one misbehaved. It doesn't even go into that, oddly enough. So there's really no justification for why one is there and the other one is there, other than one person is coldly indifferent to the needs of a dependent human being. And they could really care less. Did you hear what I said? One person is totally indifferent to the needs of a dependent and I would say languishing human being and they could totally care less because their world is stressful. I mean, how stressful is it when I can't live sumptuously every day? How stressful is it when I can't put my best underwear on? How stressful is it when I got a stain on my purple robe? Can you imagine the trauma, the need for counseling? Probably the scars. And essentially what Jesus is saying is when you're living in blessing, whatever form that takes, that doesn't, that doesn't preclude the fact that you have a responsibility here to have eyes to see those who you can be my agents of mercy for. And so here the rich guy is, not even missing a beat in his thinking. Because his, his heart is so hard and calloused against any other human being but himself, that essentially all he has is his fear that somehow what he's been given may one day be taken away, but for now, 
not going to worry about it. But there's always this sense of, well, I hope nobody tries to steal it from me. And I'm sure there are a whole lot of other self-serving emotions accompanying that. But essentially it was, how do I keep this going so I don't become like him? And Jesus is drawing people into this because there are a lot of people who are a lot like Lazarus who are saying, we need mercy and we're not finding it from any of our religious people. We need help and they really could care less. They're counting how many times we, you know, did work on the Sabbath. They're cataloging that. And as Jesus is telling this, he knows all of this stuff is in the air. And this sense of how can I get to know the Lord, but obviously I can't because the way it's been described to me has put too many barriers between myself and the Lord that I just give up. And what Jesus is trying to tell everyone who has ears to hear, that there is a merciful God at work, even though his people are not showing much mercy. God's heart is still postured towards a surprising amount of mercy and acceptance. So Abraham, he said, um, you know, you need to remember this. In, in, in your lifetime, you received a lot of good things, my child. And Lazarus, well, let's just jump over. In like manner, bad things. Probably born into conditions that he didn't have the opportunity that Albert Schweitzer had to get a degree in music and then get a degree in theology and then get an MD. He just got up and every day was an act of survival. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And this isn't a parable about, well, the wealthy are going to be made poor in heaven and the poor are going to be made wealthy. Economics factor into it, but they're not the defining features here. And besides, all this between us and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there to you may not be able, and more may cross from, and none may cross from there to us. And you know, I wonder about that, that chasm, because you would imagine that if you were in that place where you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, I think I would do it differently, but he's saying that in that space, you may not even think that at all. Well, as, um, as this story is told to us, let's unfold it a little bit farther, and, um, and, and let, let's see what, what comes up next. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Who is he concerned about? Just his own. I hope that, you know, they don't wind up in hell like I, like I am. He's not concerned about anybody else. He's not capable of being concerned about anybody else because that capacity for concern left him a long time ago. He really has, you can't even bring himself to say, Lazarus is a human being. 
I mean, he, 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 he let that go a long time ago. The only people that matter are my people, my own kind. And the only people I really care about are, are them, my five brothers. And truth be told, we don't even get along. But I wouldn't wish them on, I wouldn't wish this on any of them, not anybody. I wouldn't wish this on any of them. But Abraham said, well, they have Moses. They've got the first five books of the law, everything that's taught in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Genesis. And they have the prophets. Let them hear them. What do those guys have to say about the situation that you're in? Now, this is really a stab at the Pharisees because being religious people like they were, they had ideas about what it means to be a follower of God. And what happened was the comfortable ones they kept and the ones they didn't like, they got rid of. And that's a little bit of a word of the wise is sufficient moment for you and I. Because one thing I've discovered in going through the book of Luke, there's been a number of sermons that I've preached I've been uncomfortable with. Because I'm like, yeah, you're challenging me on this, aren't you, Lord? I got to listen to this, don't I, Lord? I've had passages where I'm like, I don't even want to, Lord, can we just not preach on that? Because I'm, I'm not there fully in my heart. And I wish I could tell you that in everything that I preach, I am there fully in my heart, but I am not. But you know, admission is the first step, isn't it? The recognition. But there's one posture that I can assure you, as my witnesses and as the Lord is my witness, as I've followed through the book of Luke, I have asked every time, Lord, help me to hear what I need to hear and help me to be who I need to be. And that has not been easy for a 58-year-old guy to say, in effect, help me to change. Help me to change where I am not fit for what you're saying. Now, God's been doing a lot of work in my heart, and I trust in my conversations with you guys, he's been doing a lot of work in your hearts. And those of you that have said, yeah, it's not been easy, it's not been fun, and it's called me out on a few things, you have my utmost respect. And those of us who have said, don't want to hear it, I'm indifferent to it, that worries me. Not because I'm on some kind of power trip here saying, I want you to believe everything I say. But rather, I want you to hear everything that the Lord is saying if what I'm saying is reflective of that. And if I'm saying stuff as a human being that doesn't quite square perfectly with the Lord's purpose as I'm explaining it, I pray that you don't hear that. But the things that God has given me to share that resonate with his spirit and his purpose for FCC, for each of us in this moment, I pray that you do. And I pray that I can deliver that in a way that respects the intent of what those words originally meant and what they mean for us.
And as Abraham is being brought into this picture of torment and of blessing in the afterlife, you have two parties of people here. Both of them really could be entitled to that privilege of being with God forever. Now, one thing I can assure you also is that the only way that we will get to be with the Lord forever is by grace and mercy. And thank goodness, even though sometimes we're not merciful, God is merciful. Now, I would say one of the best commentaries on this passage, which I'm not going to go into, is James chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it explains a lot. But in effect, one of the things that the prophets were talking about, if I could just put that as a sidebar for a second, the James chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, is the prophets who spoke about the very issues that we're hearing about in this parable. Because Isaiah wrote about this, and he said, and let's put the Isaiah scripture up there, is not this the fast that I chose, I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless and the poor into your house when you see, we'll do the next one, the naked to cover them? and not to hide yourself from your own kin. What Isaiah is saying here is written in the law. It's written in Deuteronomy. It's written in Exodus. It is part of the response that the people of God were supposed to have for the people that were thrown their way. Don't say, you're weird. We're different. Let's just keep it that way. And let's put up a barrier that says you can't come in. And for a lot of Israelites, that sort of stuck. And they looked at the world and they said, it's broken and I don't want to be a part of it. And others said, it's broken and I want to be religious and I want to be full in with the world as well. And what Jesus is asking is, are you aware that you're broken? And you need a savior. You need someone to heal your very being. And you need someone who can say there is hope. And if you heard that from him, what happens after that should be dramatic. Because all of a sudden it puts you in the place, not of the rich man, but of Lazarus, where you recognize you need mercy. You need help. You need forgiveness. You need acceptance. You need provision. And God says, I have come to bring you all of that in my son Jesus. And when he's given the purple robe, And he celebrates the meal. It's not for his own aggrandizement or way of sensationalizing who he is. 
as opposed to that person. It's his way of saying, I'm going to die an unmerciful death outside the gate, the writer of Hebrews says, in the shame of my humiliation. Which sounds okay for a poor beggar, but does that sound okay for the one who is the Lord of the universe? What does that tell you? What do you hear when you, when you see that? If you don't hear the note of God's love in there, your hearing needs to be checked. And if you don't hear the note of God's mercy, well, you probably need to check that too. And as Jesus is telling the story, there are people that are saying, we have one concern here, and that is he's a disruptor. We don't like what he's saying. He's making us uncomfortable. And even worse, he's making us look bad. You know what's so interesting about this story? Let's go back to, to finish it out here. And so he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophet, they're not going to hear that. They're not going to hear that. And if you're not hearing the voice of Jesus in what we do Sunday after Sunday, in the limitations of work in progress, human beings like myself, you're not going to hear it. And even in the afterlife, I don't think you're going to hear it there. And what has to happen is something has to disrupt your world and mine so much that we see it. And I think that's what God does. He comes in and he disrupts. Not because he dislikes, no, because he loves more than you would ever know. And he sees with clarity the things that we get drawn toward and pulled away from and fears that we fixate on. And he says, I want you to focus on me. And some of us said, yes, Lord. We're not going to be perfect in it, but we will keep you at the center. And others may have said, I like church. I like religion. I like the way I've kind of defined it. I don't want a disruptor because it's all kind of in order the way I want it. But the one thing I've discovered about going through Luke is God sometimes doesn't do what we think he's going to do. And you and I are no exception. He'll disrupt us because he wants us to see it. There's two images I'm going to end with. One is the book of John, chapter 11, talks about a guy named Lazarus, who was the best friend of Jesus, and Jesus brought him back from the dead. And when he did that, there were a couple of responses. One was, wow. Another one was, who is this guy? And there was another response, 
It was by the religious people. You know what they said? I can't believe this. I can't believe he did this. We've got to do something about this because the next thing you know it, the Romans are going to come in. We're going to lose our temple. We're going to lose our power. We're going to lose our way. We're going to lose our country. We're going to lose it all. That's what they said. No exaggeration. That is what they said. Read John chapter 11 while you're reading James 2. But what's so telling about this story as it concludes is what I read at the very end of the book of Isaiah and the end of the book of Revelation. It talks about that time, that time that Jesus is referring to, the time that is after this time. And he says that heaven and earth will merge together in completeness and we'll be who we need to be, we'll be one, and we'll be living in the city where the gates are open 24-7. Yet outside are the wicked people. But the wicked people, for whatever reason, cannot come in. Why can't they come in if the gates are open? Is it because God has invisible force field? I say no. I'll tell you why they can't come in. It's because they've lost the ability to even see the need to come in, to see why it's important. Isn't that weird? You're thinking, how could I ever get into that place? But how could a rich man say, I understand my circumstances, Abraham. I need a servant. I'm thirsty, and it's not happening. I think we become so delusional and so insane in our ability to process reality that we can't even find our way in the gate. And God just leaves it open because the problem, he says, isn't me, it is you. And until you come to the realization the problem is you, you can't come in because you won't come in. I don't know what the role of mercy is in the afterlife, but the role of mercy in this life is we are lost We are lied to, we are broken, evil is at work around us and in us, and the mercy is we not only have Moses and the prophets to give us insight into where the mind and the heart of God is, the biggest mercy of all is that God says, I've given you Jesus. And what just breaks my heart to no end is when a person tells me, yeah, I've heard about him. Don't need him. And what's my response? I'm praying that what is impossible with man will be possible with God. And that wall will come down. I'm praying that we as a people will hear this and recognize that we are saved by grace. But if we are not paying attention to the needs of people around us, we're not being responsible. And at times we get preoccupied in working on our own 
life in our own way, in our own walk. But somewhere along the way, God is saying, I also want you to hook your peepers on people that I put in front of you and hear my voice when I say, Lord Jesus, I just pray that myself very much included in this message today, that we have heard what you have to say, that we have fresh eyes to see what you see, and that we have hearts that are not hard and calloused and gated, but hearts that swing open for your mercy, for your instruction, for your teaching, for your reproof. Because without you, we really, we have nothing. We think we have a lot, but in reality, without you, we have nothing. And I pray, Father, for every heart here, that no matter whether we are adopted into your family or not adopted into your family yet, that the gate of our hearts, we could at least say, Lord, the gate of my heart has swung open, and I want you to come in. Would you swing that gate open with me and invite him in? Everyone in the room, would you do that? And then say, so may it be otherwise known as. up his sermon today talking about mercy, and I think uh, oftentimes mercy means different things to males and females. To, to me, the first thing I think of when I think of mercy is the game you used to play as a kid. Most guys would do it, grab hands with another, and the first one to say mercy loses to women or females, I'm sure, especially my wife could tell me mercy means something way different to her. But I think ultimately mercy is that feeling that we're able to, to share, that uh, to give grace to someone that uh, has wronged you or someone that uh, maybe needs help. Mercy was the ultimate act that Jesus Christ gave for us as he died on the cross. And this time in our service each week, we we remember that Jesus has given us mercy by dying for us. And at this time, I'd like to ask a blessing upon uh, the cup and the loaf as we remember uh, Jesus Christ and the mercy he showed for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this 
message that you've provided for us today. And Lord, we ask your blessings upon the cup and the loaf as we uh, remember your son, Jesus, and uh, the death that he died on the cross for us. We ask these things in your son's name. are many they rise against me but I will hold my ground I will not fear the war I will not fear the storm my help is on the way my help is on the way
so close to you every day. Well, be safe. Uh, this is Meyer. We're at the zoo today. Hope you all have fun. Uh, and I'll see you next week.